And here, without further ado, my friend, Dr. History. Good morning. Good morning, Zeb. How are you, my friend? Good. A little cold and snowy out there. <clears throat> it's that time of the year. It is. It's did November. you hook up your dogs to the dog sled? I did. They're out there barking right now. Mush your huskies. <laughs> yep. What do you got today? Well, we're going to go back to the 1800s. Okay. And we're going to talk about trappers and mountain men that and this particular guy I'm going to bet nobody has heard about. Another guy that we never heard of. Yes, that's what I'm going to guess, but we'll see. You know, uh, trappers were contending with each other and the Indians for the valuable beaver skins. Now, these trappers explored every stream, cascading from the Continental Divide, and became known as mountain men, of course. Uh-huh. So mountains, like the Rockies, were unheard of back east. They just didn't have these kind of mountains back there. You, you've been back there. They, they don't have mountains like we do here. You know, the thing about going back east, and I'll say this quickly, is I didn't enjoy it back east of the Mississippi River because of all the trees, I felt like I was really... You know, confined. I right. couldn't go anywhere. There were no mountains to say, oh, okay, this is where I'm at. Yeah, really. Yeah, so, but anyway, the early trappers and explorers came from the ragged edges of society and lacked the ability or the inclination to write their own stories. Yet it is these first-hand stories that are the foundation of accurate history. And even major actors on this scene like Jim Bridger and others, they couldn't write. In fact, Jim Bridger signed his name with a mark and two crossed lines. That, really? was, that was his signature. That was his signature. Yeah, so Did it ever change later in life? I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. But, you know, if these major actors couldn't sign their own names, it's no wonder that the rank and file of trappers were basically illiterate. They didn't read, they didn't write, and in the mountains, except for clerking, you know, writing and reading really weren't prerequisites for anything. Yeah. And so, but somehow they were able to figure out numbers, like how many uh, pelts they had and trading. So they learned how to count? Is that what you're saying? They learned how to count. Really? That's about it. Yeah. But one trapper, however, did write. In fact, he wrote in beautiful, flowing script. His name was Daniel Trotter Potts. Mm. And at 27 years of age, he was older, he was educated, and from what we'd call a, a genteel background. Genteel. Genteel. Uh-huh. So, sophisticated. Sophisticated. Uh-huh. So in contrast to the many trappers who couldn't sign their names, he sent long letters home. He came from the noted Potts family of Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, and they were well known back there. Kind of sent like, letters home how? Well, uh, each year at the, at the rendezvous. He would send them, and they would get as far as St. Louis, and then from St. Louis on back to Pennsylvania. Really? Yeah, so oh. maybe once a year you'd get a letter out. Boy, so you don't stand at the mailbox. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a trapper, each year he sent lengthy letters back to the settlements that were a capsule history of that year's trapping and exploring in the Rocky Mountains. And when he had finished writing a letter, he folded a sheet of paper around it to make an envelope. Then he addressed it, paid 25 cents postage, and gave it to the traders to carry back to St. Louis. And there his letters were posted in the mail and forwarded up the Mississippi and Ohio rivers to Pennsylvania. Wow. So 25 cents, that I think is a little expensive back For, then. Those, uh, For those times, times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for many years, the letters were lost. But uh, the discovery of the Potts letters is kind of a story in itself. They emerged in parts and poor portions from old newspapers, then from actual manuscripts that Potts had written from the mountain rendezvous. Really? So, now the West and the Rocky Mountains were just being explored when Daniel Potts wrote his letters, and there were no really good maps at that time. 
But this man was educated. He was a good writer. He identified himself as a member of the famous Ashley Henry Expedition, which departed upriver from St. Louis in 1822. So we're talking a couple hundred years here. Yeah, but you know, you bring a point up here, Doctor, that if he was such a genteel person and a gentleman, why in the world did he want to spend his life as a trapper? That is an excellent question, because he had a maid back east. Yeah. But I guess he had the exploring spirit or something in him. But anyway, uh, you know, uh, he talked about uh, traveling up the Missouri, then to the Bighorn River, and finally the Wind River in Wyoming, 1823-24. He actually wintered with the Crow Indians. You know, and it's a good thing he did because we probably wouldn't have had the insight as to what it was like. No, because he was one of the guys that actually wrote it down. The other guys are related. uh, You know, other people wrote their stories. Pretty hard to read uh, Kit Carson's Mark. (laughs) That's right. But. But anyway, after that winter with the Crow Indians, the following summer with his companions, he crossed over the Continental Divide into the heart of the Rocky Mountains. He was really an observant man and careful, and he correctly defined uh, the sources and flow of seven of the large western rivers. So he was really kind of a map maker, sort of. I see. But uh, the real prize was his 1827 letter while recounting his adventures of the past year. Uh, this winter penned the earliest first-hand description of Yellowstone Park. Mm-mm. Now, some people confuse John Coulter as the one who uh, found Yellowstone Park, but it wasn't him. Yeah. It was this guy. It was this guy. So the year 1947. Did 19, he charge admission? <laughs> not then. <laughs> but the year 1947 was the 75th anniversary of Yellowstone Park. Now, two living descendants of the Potts family, uh, a Mrs. Annie Rittenhouse and her sister Kate, lived in Washington, D.C. Now, these ladies were granddaughters of William Potts, who was a brother to Daniel's father, Zebulon. Now, Aha! There's so, a Zebulon! There's a Zeb. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so it so happened that as the eldest member of her family, uh, Mrs. Rittenhouse, along with her sister, had a box of old records, among which were original copies of Daniel Potts' letters. Wow. So this is like 150 years later. I'll bet they're worth a gold yeah. mine. Yeah, and these were written from the Rocky Mountains. Well, these ladies immediately contacted the National Park Service and happily informed them that the original manuscript of the famous first description of Yellowstone was still in the family. Oh, my. Well, besides the Yellowstone discovery letter, they had two more. One was dated uh, 1824, another one St. Louis 1828. So it was really an extraordinary find. So the park superintendent offered the ladies $100 for all three letters. No, wait a minute. $100. $100. Yeah. They were stealing them. Yeah, you know. And, you know, the Daniel Trotter Potts letters are some of the earliest eyewitness reports of exploring the Rocky oh, Mountains. Oh, they didn't sell them. Please tell me they didn't no, sell them. No, no. They, they, they kept them. Okay. So. In fact, I'll let you know where they're at. Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you what, this is a good time for me to do a commercial. This is. While we're waiting to find out what happened to Mr. Potts' letters, don't forget Minicasha Sales at 1321 East Main Street in Burley. The nicest people work there. Zach and the whole crew are such nice people, and they really care about your lumber needs. They care about you saving on your heating bills this winter with the very efficient western windows. And, of course, they've got carpet right now on sale, some for thirteen fifty a yard, normally retailing at seventeen ninety nine, and also vinyl for nine ninety nine, normally retailing at fifteen ninety nine. Save you money. Get in there and see Zach and the crew today at Minicasha Sales, thirteen twenty one. East Main Street in Burley, and they bring you Dr. History. All right, part two. (laughs) So in the basement of a three-story stone building stands a green vault. 
the stone building is at Mammoth Hot Springs, Wyoming. And I imagine you've been there, haven't you, through Yellowstone? Yeah. Okay. Well, in its basement is the archives where rare manuscripts regarding Yellowstone Park are stored. So in this safe are three manuscript letters. And what they do is the letters are first encased in an acid retardant paper. Oh, my. To be preserved, then laid flat and placed in a box. So they're they're well preserved. And I don't know if the general public can actually look at them. I, I don't know. Did they take any, like, uh, microfilm or any pictures of the writings or anything? You know, I'm sure probably, there are probably writing or copies out I there. I see. I but see. But the originals. Uh, and these park uh, up there in Yellowstone, they keep these as if they're the crown jewels. Really? So for Yellowstone Park, they really are the crown jewels. Uh, the letters were written 170 years ago or 200 by now by uh, this Daniel Potts and he uh, the prize jewel is written uh, by Potts that is the first eyewitness account of Yellowstone Park and he wrote it after returning from Yellowstone at the Rocky Mountain Fur Trade Rendezvous of 1827 held at Sweet Lake which is actually Bear Lake I was going to say that's down in southeastern Idaho Yes, yeah. over there right by well, the Not Utah too border. far from Preston and in that area. Right. Yeah. So anyway, he uh, trapping, killing, and skinning animals is a, a pretty foul, dirty work. I mean, it stinks <laughs> if you've been around that. That's the way to put it. Anyone who has skinned a beaver, a mink, or a weasel knows how truly bad it smells. Yeah. And the skinner quickly smells just like what he's skinning. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> in fact, uh, this is good for his craft because uh, as he takes on the smell of his prey, he's more successful in catching them because he smells like them uh-huh so this line of work is mostly done by men on what you would call the coarse edge of society i see men used to a kind of a rough and rugged kind of life do chiropractors have a smell all their own <laughs> you know i hope not <laughs> but you know daniel potts did not qualify his ancestors were gentry folk with occupations that did not make them stink uh, unusual for his time and doubly so for a trapper daniel could write and at the Sweet Lake Fur Trade Rendezvous of 1827, that was what he was about to do. Now, the Mountain Trade Rendezvous was in full swing at the southern edge of Sweet Lake in Utah. One year previous, Daniel Potts had written the earliest description of this lake. And here's what he said. He said, in the first valley, as you approach from the head of the river, which is Bear River, mm-hmm. is a small, sweet lake about 120 miles in circumference with beautiful, clear water. And when the wind blows, it has a beautiful, splendid appearance. Okay. Mm. Now, a year later, July 8th, action had pa- picked up and the scene at Sweet Lake looked like this. Smoke curled up from the hundred campfires that fanned into the clear atmosphere. A few days previous, James Bruffy and Hiram Scott had arrived with a long packed train of supplies. The train had left St. Louis about April 12th with 46 men and $22,000 worth of trade goods. And the Packers were paid $110 each for a year's service. Let me ask you something about these rendezvous, etc. You know, they didn't have calendars to the point where they really adhered to the, you got to be here on the 27th or whatever. Uh, They just kind of left St. Louis or whatever and kind of ventured to say they'd be there in maybe, what, 90 days or something like that? Right, and... There was a lot riding on that because if they got there too late for the rendezvous, it was bad for the trappers and for the the suppliers. How many people were at these rendezvous? It's hard to imagine all the trappers. How many were there normally? You know, I I have no way of knowing that. I mean, there's, but there were hundreds of Indians and trappers and their wives and their families. I mean, it was a big, uh, big deal. Kind of a big kumbaya. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So anyway, the trappers and the Indians had arrived with their furs to trade, and the summer rendezvous was the key to success for the traders and an exciting party for trappers and Indians. Uh, beaver pelts were best when the weather was cold, so they were trapped in the early winter and early spring, just before the creeks froze up and just after they thawed. So that was kind of a rough time to be in the mountains, but that was the best time yeah. for for trapping. But there wasn't time to explore the country, trap beaver, pack the furs out to St. Louis, then buy supplies, and hurry back to explore and trap again. So with the rendezvous system, the men could remain in the mountains to explore and trap. The traders packed in goods from the east and exchanged them for furs at this annual gathering. What kind of money did trappers make? Well, this one says uh, one guy made $110 uh, a year. A year? Yeah, for one year. So, oh, wow. you know, don't spend it all in yeah. one place. Well, let me tell you where they spent it. Okay. Rendezvous. <laughs> <laughs> so the traders came in. Uh, they pressed the skins into compact bales, packed them back to St. Louis. And this year was all happening at the south end of Sweetwater or Bear Lake. Uh, business and fun. They were buying and selling and having a party. A generic and classic rendezvous description was dictated by James Beckworth. He said, uh, parties began to arrive one after another. Traders accompanied with 300 pack mules laden with goods and all things necessary for the mountaineers and the Indian trade. So Saw- wait a minute. Wasn't that Jim Beckworth? Wasn't he the black uh, trapper? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I think he was. He was a uh, black trapper that came out west. Look that up for I'll, me I'll sometime. have to check yeah. that. But, you know, they were singing and dancing and shouting and trading and jumping and, and running and uh, jumping. singing, ra- racing, target shooting, telling stories. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, the white men could invent all kinds of stories in the Indians. How but, long did the rendezvous last? You know, I'm not sure, but I'm thinking they ran a couple of weeks or so. Really? Two or three, maybe three weeks. But, And to make things even better, uh, Beckworth says the unpacking of the medicine water contributed not a little to the heightening of our festivities. Wait a minute. Medicine water could be assumed to also be the whiskey. Medicine water was alcohol, <laughs> and get this, flavored with molasses, uh-huh. pepper, and sometimes gunpowder. Gunpowder. Then it was diluted with water. As the men became a little more drunk, they were less fa- fussy about the mix. <laughs> Gunpowder wouldn't that kill them? Well, I, you wouldn't not. dare. You wouldn't dare light a match for your cigar <laughs> no, or anything, no, not would while you? you're drinking. Whoa! What happened, to Ernie? Well, he's but, over there on top of that hill. Yeah. So, according to one observer, a guy named Rogers, alcohol was sold at four dollars a pint, Whoa. and some men would spend a thousand dollars in a day or two. Now wait a minute. How did they get the? If you only made a hundred, yeah. Well, I think some of the private guys made more because they sold by how many pelts they had. I see. So they could make more than just the couple of hundred bucks. So. I see. And that was actually about twenty thousand uh, dollars, or twenty-five, or maybe thirty thousand in today's money. Did they ever keep enough money to actually buy more bullets and well, guns? And I think they just kept out enough to get them by for another year till really? another rendezvous. Holy so. cow! So and very few says had much of their year's wages left when the rendezvous broke. So, anyway, it was, a, it was an exciting event of the season, and for a year the men had been without fresh supplies from the east, and in small groups they had been searching mountain streams for beaver. They'd been isolated, cold, and even in danger from Indians uh, bent on robbing them or worse. And now, safely gathered with friends, they relaxed and became outrageous, rollicking, it says rollicking, rollicking. wild men. <laughs> rollicking. Rollicking. I love yes. that word, rollicking. 
with their wives and their Indian friends. They squandered their furs and had a spree. I mean, they compared adventures, played games, traded, and at the rendezvous, they could trade beaver skins for, of course, gunpowder, lead, knife, yeah. uh, uh, beads, blankets, sugar, tobacco, and beaver traps and Indian goods, but uh, also colored ribbons, brass tacks, bright cloth, which they could use to tr- then trade. To trade to the Indians, yeah. yeah. But why would they put gunpowder in the whiskey? Help me with <laughs> I that. I can't. I That'll can't. knock your lid off. I would think. Oh, my. You know, but it says, you know, some trappers threw away $1,000 in a few days. Their whole their whole season's work. Gone. Some things never change, do they? <laughs> but one man, however, stayed sober, and for time he left the party. His name was Daniel Trotter Potts. I'll be darned. And he enjoyed the fun with his mountain friends, but his background, as I mentioned, wasn't quite so ragged. That's theirs. He was educated. He could write. And this was a bit unusual. And he wanted to send some letters home. So except for clerking, you know, keeping track of money, uh, writing skill was unnecessary for the mountain man. But Daniel was eager to report the year's adventures to his friends and family back east and glad he had the skill to do it. Um, so Potts, coming from a business-minded family, wanted to tally up his earnings. And now paper... Actually, if you think about it, paper was valuable back then. Absolutely. It was almost like gold. It was harder to come by, but he got the paper and a bottle of India ink from a trader, and he walked up onto a small hill overlooking the lake and spread out the paper and began writing, and he would do this uh, every year. And you didn't want to make a mistake and go oops and throw no, it away. No. But now, India ink is actually a product made of lamp black mixed with a binding agent and molded into cakes or sticks. And in this form, it could be easily transported out there and then mixed with water for use. With uh, gunpowder. I hope not. <laughs> but then the tip of a large fe- feather was the quill pen. Of course. I'll be darned. So anyway, j- just a couple of things. I know we're running out of time here, but let me just a couple of things. Uh, he said, uh, I took my departure for the Blackfoot country much against my choice. We crossed Snake River or South Fork of Columbia at the forks of Henry and Lewis's Forks, which is north of Idaho Falls, Idaho. And at this place, we were daily harassed by the Blackfeet. And uh, tell me when we need to stop, Seb. I got yeah, I got getting, about two more minutes. Okay, well, Daniel Potts loved uh, unexplored country, and I guess that was his real. You know, love. we could hit this again next week. This is really fascinating. Yeah, we could go a little more into. Daniel yeah, I'd Potts. like to know more about what he wrote about this country and what he perceived and what we can actually see today. Okay, yeah, yeah let, I'd like let's, to do let's that. do that because, uh, like, I've just barely started. This is his. His book, and I just barely touched on the Now, did the they, service. in the book, did they actually recreate or, um, I guess, give a photocopy of his letters? I, you know, I don't know. Uh, and maybe as I read in here, it'll tell me what, okay. uh, what actually happened. I, I would think they would have copied them, put them in available for people to oh, read yeah, somewhere, yeah. somehow. It yeah. sounds to me like this Mr. Potts uh, might have been one of the only, if not the only, person that really had an accurate recording of what happened. Right, and anytime you can get a journal or a, a diary, like I've got that one that's the diary of a cowboy yeah, uh, yeah. On, the, on the trail drives, and I do have another one that's a, a diary of a, a mountain man. And, and a lot uh, of diaries from the Oregon Trail, too. Yeah. Osborne, yeah. Russell, and... Wow. So those, to me, are the most accurate... Uh, let's do that next week. Okay. Let, let's hit that again about the Snake River and everything else, because okay. I really appreciate that. Okay, we'll do it. Man, I'll tell you what, are we still having listeners all over the world? We're up to almost 400,000 hits in 110 countries. Wow, and none of them have really severed relations with the United States. Nobody's knocked on my door to say knock it really? off, and, you know, but... 
almost 400,000 hits on our Look Dr. Look at all Dash the money History. you're Dr. making. <laughs> That's a joke, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can relate to that. But uh, 400,000 hits. Yeah, in about a year and a half. Really? So, and uh, every week there's about another 2,500 every week. No kidding. From uh, Name some oh, of the countries. Brazil is big. A lot of no people kidding. in Brazil. Hello, Brazil. Yes, Brazil, but uh, South America, Peru, uh, Chile. So if you and I fly down to Rio de Janeiro, yes, they'll welcome us uh, with open arms. Open arms, I'm yeah. sure. Okay. Yes. And pay for our lunch. <laughs> yes. Okay. Doc, excellent job. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes. Ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.